I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Diminishing the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind in the business Got me stressed in the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the rent room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it 2022. Yeah! On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Chris Derrick's out today, but my boy Tracy Grant will be jumping in with us in a minute. Um, but with that, if you guys are grown, we'll jump on into the show. So today... Here the ghetto birds just driving by everywhere. Um, we got my, the big bro in the building, uh, Mark Blutman. You guys know him. Y'all seen him out there on Twitter. Y'all seen him in all the TV shows. Y'all see him, you know, being interviewed by everybody. You know, he big time. You know, he out there killing it and stuff. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Like executive producer, showrunner himself, Mark Blutman. What's happening? Welcome to the show. It's all good. You know what I love about... Well, seeing you in general, but when you put a microphone in front, I'm like, what's up, Hill? What are we going to talk about? <laughs> and you never tell me what we're going to talk about, but I know, like, I know I'm going to say some stuff that if clips get out on Twitter, I'm done. Like, I'm done because I get so comfortable with you. I just That's say it. stuff. That's it's it. like, we're just, I don't see the microphone. I don't see anything. I just think me and you were in a coffee shop right. and I'm going to expose the business. Well, if it, if it comes <laughs> to you before Sunday night, hit me up and go, yo, man, cut out that little spot and I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know so I mean? like the the ten minutes I made fun of Tom Hanks for yelling on camera. You know, back the fuck off, my wife. What? No. You're Woody. What are you doing? <laughs> so, um, what you been up to during this whole? Uh, it's been what like a year or two since you've been on the show. How long has it been? Probably it was pre-pandemic, man. Pre-pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic. I mean, this stuff been going like <clears throat> I think it's here to stay. Like it's real. Yeah. <laughs> At this yeah, point, it's, it's real. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, we're not wearing our masks as much, but it's real. I I had I had COVID, man. I had. That's why you said that. Yeah. You know, uh, post shots, post boosters post never going near people i still but it was like a cold you know yeah. i had that like scratchy throat right. in fact i've had colds that were a lot worse but mm -hmm. you know my parents i don't know if we talked about this both yeah. my parents got it before vaccines right they're in their 80s right. and they were in hospitals and rehab for like three and a half months Oof. i mean it was bad and they yeah. were losing their minds and yeah. all that stuff yeah. and you know my dad i i had to say they called me twice at like 1 a.m to say goodbye to him oh my god you ever done that Thank Say God, no. Like, that's a weird uh, call I to get. Right. And, you know, you're, you're, Dad, I love you. And on the other end, you just hear moans and mm. you just you just cry. And then, yeah. well, actually. Because you couldn't even go see him. I couldn't. No, yeah. but you couldn't. Yeah. And then eventually we did the window visits. Okay. And then, you know, you go to like a hospital and on the ground floor, there's all these people like by windows, just like, like it was so mess because nobody knew anything. Right, for sure. You know, medicine wise and, and all that. But it was really weird because the healthcare system can be really effed up, mm -hmm. especially with elderly. 
And, uh, you know, I, I know we didn't plan on talking about COVID, but what That's the fine. fuck, I'll, I'll be real about it. So, you know, they call me one day and they say, this is after I said goodbye to my dad and stuff, and a doctor gets off the phone and goes, you know, your, your, your dad has heavy, heavy dementia. Ooh. And uh, he's not following commands. We have to strap him into his bed at night. Mm. He can't swallow, can't chew. And I'm like, no fucking way. That's not how he was before all this. Mm. And the doctor got a little, you know, testy with me. He's like, <laughs> well, this is what he is now. Right. Are you trying to tell me that I don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> and I said, dude, just because you're a doctor, mm. it doesn't mean you're a good one. Ooh. I said that because I go that way. And that's the truth. We all think doctors, yeah. they're all good. No, right. some suck. Yeah. And, and anyway, so four days go by and I call the hospital every day and yeah. talk to the nurses and I become friends. The one thing I know about hospitals, take care of your nurses, send them baskets of muffins, <laughs> send them meals at night because they work their asses off. For and sure. if you want to find out about your loved ones, be good to the nurses okay. and they'll take good care of, of, of the people you care about. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so one day I called to check in on my folks and the nurse says, I know what up with your father. Hmm. I go, what's up? It's really overwhelming for us all. This COVID shit is new and, and, and at night it gets horrible here because the elderly patients, they get like sundown syndrome where they lose their minds and they don't know if it's day or night. They've been laying there all day and it's... They lose complete uh, sense of all that stuff. And our staffs are overwhelmed. Right. And I'm like, and? And according to the records, they've been shooting your dad up with Ativan huh. to what is, sedate what him. Well, it, sh it should not be given to anybody over the age of 80. Ooh. So it's a really, really strong, 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 um, I guess it's an opioid. Um, and it like just it. sedates. So I called that doctor back. I said, you take my father off Ativan right now. Mm. And they did. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have dementia. He's fine. Like <laughs> Within f a few days, yeah. he was up. But they were shooting him up with Ativan and telling me, like, right. this is his vegetative state. Mm -hmm. Not a showbiz story unless I write about it. <laughs> hey. <clears throat> but I will. Here's, here's the cool thing about these conversations that I have on the show. And I always make the joke, like, we'll go off and we'll be talking about personal stuff. And I'll jump in and I'll say, welcome to the rant room, right? We go off on rants, That's right, it. about real shit. You know, and you and I, we've known each other for a long time. We talk together. When we talk, we talk real shit. Yeah. And we haven't had this deep conversation like this, so people are coming into our conversation. Yeah. And know? by the way, and mm -hmm. we all know that, and we try, the young yeah. writers we talk to, yeah. and we mentor, and I know you're the same yeah. way as me. You care deeply about the next generation, yes. as long as they're not taking money from our pockets. <laughs> but we do care about them, and we do stress, man, write that shit that's real. And so, you know, I'm telling you this story about right. my dad and saying goodbye to him and then telling me he's got heavy dementia and I'm going no fucking way. And I stood up to a doctor and said, <laughs> just because your doctor doesn't mean you're a good one, I'm going to write about that shit. I love it. I because love it. Yeah. it's what we, it's the best stuff. And like I said, I try and impress it upon the, you know, the next, or as I call them, you know, who's got next? Like, who are the writers? Who's, like, remember pickup game? <laughs> yeah. Who has next? So now yeah. I look at a bunch of writers hanging out. Who's got next? You, you, and you. They got next, man. Exactly. You know, we got to hand the ball over at some point. <laughs> And I'm cool with that, but anyway, I'm like, just write, man, write your life, write your truth, write mm -hmm. your honesty. But you, you say this a lot too. The best thing you can do for yourself is have experiences, right? When you have experiences, like this is an experience, right? 
comedians would use this and turn it into a show. You know what I mean? Hundred percent about about a doctor who's blah 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we all could relate to those stories. So to me, that's that's what happened. And this is why I'm always trying to tell writers today, like when they're even when they're staffing shows, and now I'm in a position where I'm able to help people staff shows. I'm going. Let's also look at the older writers. Let's stop. We always focused on these younger writers, but there are lots of other older writers. Now, I just mean older writers over fifty, and I'm over fifty-two. So yeah, I, and for for those who can't see and have <laughs> only heard his voice forever, let me just say say again what you just said. You're what? I'm over fifty. Also, I'll be fifty-two Dude, in yeah, September. Dude looks like he's thirty-eight, forty. For those who <laughs> don't know, his his uh, profile pic is the way he looks right now, and it's it's maddening. They I don't all know. know I'm a vampire. They know. I'm Whatever a- you're doing, man. <laughs> but between your sneaker game and your you know soft skin, you exactly. fucking you're forty years old. Thank tops. you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, So anyway, where I'm going with all that is um, there's something to. Writers, in my opinion, they have to have a thing where the more experience you have, the better you're going to be in a room because you'll have, number one, you'll have more things to talk about and you'll have more experiences and stories to tell us about, right? And the ones that have always landed in a room, and you know this to be true, are when a writer grabs the attention of the room Mm -hmm. and doesn't share something that they made up, but they... And they they have trepidation and they're nervous and they're scared like because they're about to bear their soul right. and they do and they share this deeply personal story that mm-hmm. they think may fit in the character's arc in the second or third act and they share it mm-hmm. and you look around the table and there's like one writer starting to tear up exactly. and shit exactly you got somebody else get up hey man could I give you a hug because mm-hmm. that fucking touched me mm-hmm. and and I'm at the place in my life where like. You know, in my 30s, I was not this guy. I had it in me, (laughs) but, you know, we're new. We're being Mm -hmm. thrown stupid money, and we think we have to, you know, act like our bosses, you know, or those who came before us, Robert Evans, or Mm -hmm. all these big producers that we used to read about. Well, we have to act like that. So we weren't vulnerable. We didn't share. And and so now I can look back and say to the younger ones, start sharing that personal shit from go. And I always say it like this. Now... You, you and I are both writers and producers who we mentor a lot of writers, right? Yep. And here's how many people have you met and they told you a story about or they told you about the project they're writing and you go, eh, that's interesting. Tell me about you. And they tell you about you and that's way better than the story that they wrote. So right? I'm going to I'm going to you know can, I mean? can I go can ahead. I jump on, on yeah. something? 100% I just experienced it with a young writer right. and um, so it's somebody that I only know from Twitter right. that is super cool to me in that I see him grind and work and network and hasn't made it yet he, right. he doesn't live here but he's still always elevating others mm-hmm. shouting out others so I like the dude right, right? I like the dude and I finally said to him, he was reaching out to me about something. I said, you know what, dude, send me a script. Nice. Okay? Yeah. Read the script. Mm-hmm. Sent him a message and said, okay, I read it. Let's talk about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That blew his mind. He's like, wait, I sent it to you and you read it the same day? Yeah, you're good at that. You're good I'm at that. pretty good at it. <laughs> but but here's the thing. And now, like, remember if I go too far to the left to bring me back because I'm going to go on a tangent here. Yeah, go ahead. 
the OG producers, the most successful ones, <laughs> they do that shit too. They do. Yeah. They do. And it's. I think it's the younger generation, the thirty-something-year-old execs. Their attention the span is like their attention span. Yeah. And don't forget, there's you know back in the, in our day when we started, an assistant would put a stack of hard copies on someone's desk and right. say, "Here's your reading." Right. Now, where are the scripts now? Mm-hmm. They're on PDFs, and they get two hundred fifty, five hundred yeah. emails, whatever a day. Push, push, push. Yeah down believe me and that's one of the reasons <laughs> but anyway so it blew his mind that I read the script right, and right. I was like a half hour script well okay 20 minutes of my time I could find 20 minutes for mm-hmm. a young writer right. anybody that says they can't fuck them they're lying they yeah. just don't have it in their soul and 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 I guess you know whatever but here's the thing so it was a he wrote this thing and it was basically a modern day golden girls yeah. uh, three women mm-hmm. in a you know retirement community and yeah. they were you know party older women and smoking weed and this mm-hmm. that and I said to him I said uh, and it was all very gratuitous and and it didn't work for me okay. and I told him I said dude I said the world has potential I said listen there are shows with old Kaminsky method that Chuck mm-hmm. Lorre I fucking love there is a market for I said here's what I need to know mm. I said why'd you write the show mm. there you go yeah. and he said this he said well I was raised by you know the character uh, B, I think the character's name was mm-hmm. the crazy wild one who was into you know New Orleans voodoo shops mm-hmm. and all that shit, and she lit up the bong and all that. <laughs> so I had a relationship with her. She helped raise me, mm-hmm. and um, she wanted to keep living in the house with me. But I knew it was time for her to go off and live with people her age, and mm-hmm. so I put her in this retirement community and it caused conflict between us. And he went on to tell me this whole story of the origin of, Mm. I go, your fucking character's not even in this brother. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like where is you, Mm -hmm. where is that story between this younger dude who was raised by this woman who is now pushing her away and the guilt, maybe she makes him feel Mm -hmm. all this. Make the story. And he went, oh, my gosh, nobody's ever told me that. I said, well, part of what happens with writer Twitter is because writer A ultimately wants a shout out on their script in a positive way. No matter how they felt about writer C script, they're going to fucking say this. Oh, hey, spec shout out. You know, the the haunting seven <laughs> but the tv series version written by so and so great characters and i get that boost, and i respect the boost. boost boost, boost <laughs> exactly. and i get it because everybody wants right. to feel the same love mm-hmm. so they give love so nobody's getting it so he's like nobody ever told me that before <laughs> i said go back and fucking make it personal and, and put fucking tears in there and yes. as i always say and it was a comedy and i always say to people and i i've i've, I've tweeted about this before Anybody, at the end of the day, can get laughs and entertain an audience with laughs. But if you make them feel, they come back. That's what's usually missing. Heart. Yep. If you can get heart. And organic. Organic. That's even harder. Don't don't yes. give that like after school special exactly. speech. Exactly. You don't know the half of it. I had <laughs> cancer when I was younger and I beat it. And then right. I had a heart transplant. And I beat that. Right. And then I had memory loss for seven years and was in. But now look at like not that bullshit. Right. Organic heart. Organic make them feel. Heart. For sure. And they come back. <laughs> and the reader wants to meet you. Yes. 
you know it wants to feel like that whole thing man and that's the thing i you know struggle with with the whole zoom thing and you know it was oh we can do it we can do rooms now this way dude oh, dude I it ain't it. it ain't authentic me, i sit in the writer's room every day watching them going oh god this is just awful i mean it i mean it's amazing there's lots of great work 100 100 percent. the work is still turning out Absolutely. but it's not the same as being there touching feeling You're not feeling seeing what You're you not know feeling and and you don't really get us and everybody's extra polite and I'm not saying you're not polite around the room, you know, and you know, being a showrunner yourself, you're going to make your room, you know, you, whatever your mandate it is. But in a comedy room, it is a lot more overlap and whatever. And that is all gone. For comedy, gone. for sure. One hour, I could see the Zoom model sustaining to some degree, but comedy, mm. like, no. Mm. But, but, but. You know, I, I read a lot of writers saying, you know, I can't afford to li live in L.A., so Zoom affords me the opportunity to, like, you know, live in, you know, Ames, Iowa, where I can afford it and be, well, wh let's do hybrids. That's all. Mm. You know, like, why not? Like, you know, if I found, it, it affords us the opportunity. If right. I found a kick-ass piece of talent, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're like, I can't move. I, I'm a caregiver for my grandma. I right. can't move. Right. Dude, I'll put you on Zoom. We'll put you up on the screen. You it's can easy. be in Zoom. We so do we can, it. Yeah. How many times have you, and, okay, we're about to jump into some shit. Oh, boy. How many times have we pitched in person? I've done it where I pitched in person and the big executive was in, I think one was in London. Yeah. And I had to pitch to the net, to the executive sitting at the table, and they were watching on Zoom on some sort of it. I don't even know if it was called Zoom then. I don't remember, but yeah. it might have been Zoom, WebEx, something, or whatever. But yeah. they were. So I'm saying there's no reason you can't do that and have the writer there exactly. that you really wanted to staff. Yeah, still live in Ohio, in Iowa, yeah. or whatever the fuck. Listen, man, we know how tough it is out yeah. here. We know like how many of the I'll say baby writers because I still I don't mean it as disrespect. That's an expression. When I came up, I was called a baby writer. But how many baby baby writers share their story and are like you, you know you don't understand, man? I I I I have to keep a job and you know I have to you know write from three a.m. to six a.m. and then go do a job like because like it's expensive here. Yeah, and, sure. and and these young writers, man, they're 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 working their ass off to survive so if there's somebody and we can facilitate them and i think they're brilliant and have mm -hmm. a future put them up on a screen and mm -hmm. let them be part of the room that way but their fucking scripts better be good <clears throat> oh dude <laughs> i mean but there's still i and uh, i've said this ever since you know we started living in Nerona the last fucking two and a half years oh, now man, Jesus that's crazy Christ. um I've been saying, you know, I always feel bad for the writers who their their first experiences in a room. They don't really get to see what it's like to be at the table and to actually stand up and pitch your thing, you know, on the board while it's up. There's something to that. It's community too. Yes, it's community. It's, There's no community when it's a Zoom room. It's just not. Because I can tell you, I'm still watching some of the, you know, even the the, the dopest, you know, pitches. Or people who can pitch steal it's flat on a on a zoom yeah it's flat 
trust me, I'm watching. Oh, I know. And I'm I, like, I, I, <laughs> me, me and Candace Vernon, who you've had on, mm-hmm. and I adore. We have our Mickey Fabulous thing, and when we were pitching it on Zoom, and there's pictures, and we got we got Marley playing. We yeah. got Bob Marley playing. Right. So that alone makes right. all the execs go, oh, "This is amazing." Right. I know because we played music like that, but <laughs> well, they you're, don't know you're setting the tone exactly. Yes. But 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 so you look. You know, my advice to y'all out there: if you got to do these Zoom pitches, like look for that extra bell and whistle that makes the exec go, oh, this is not as dry as the other 10 I did in the last two hours. I I also talk about this a lot on my show, and I don't know how you feel about this. It's just how I feel. Now, you see, looking around my room, around my office here, it's a very creative place. But here's something that I do, depending on what the meeting is, I will face my camera depending on what type of meeting I'm having. So if I want you to know I'm kind of whimsy or whatever, I'm, I'm showing you the sneakers. If, if I wanted you to see something really black, I might angle myself on my Malcolm X. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or whatever. If I want you to see that I'm just kind of, you know, whimsy and, you know, whatever, Brilliant. I might zoom over there. So I'm trying to show you what the tone is yeah. of whatever I'm going to do. Here's who I am. This yes. speaks to... I, I'm the same, but I'm very blatant for all my Zooms now. I just hold Miami. I just real tight, right to camera. I hold Miami. This is who I am. This is what you get. I would do that if I could. <laughs> no, I, I haven't done that yet. But but but, but you could. I could. But, but you could at least put it behind you. Though. It may be behind me. But yeah, no. But that's brilliant because you know we have so many opportunities only so many right Mm -hmm. and so every opportunity is a chance to say as much as we can with not only our words Mm -hmm. our vibe Mm -hmm. our surroundings Mm -hmm. you know and that's one of the things and you know this will be one of those things i may say you know hey like let's cut this part out is the (laughs) business no names that's all (laughs) hillier the business has changed and that shit that you just talked about Mm -hmm. is less important now than it was five ten years ago it's more sterile now Mm -hmm. and and those things of sitting across with your execs getting to know them like i'd be at a show and the first thing you know my agent would do is make sure that i had meetings with all the execs Mm -hmm. from that studio and we used to do lunches and it's not just the pandemic lunches with everybody stopped anyway a little bit before two Mm -hmm. three years before but Everybody knew us, mm-hmm. knew what you were into, right. knew you had, you know, love for sneaker, black mm-hmm. histories, mm-hmm. great athletes, whatever. Mm-hmm. They really knew us. And and I think now you get in a little bubble where there's maybe a couple of execs that get to know you, but right. even that is a slow build. Mm-hmm. We used to just share stories with our execs. Mm-hmm and talk about our families Mm -hmm. and it was like you know the old thing of you know well today's your first day at a new job you know try and get a few minutes with the boss and let him know how so eventually he's gonna say hey mark how are the kids you know what i mean it's like you want familiarity and i don't think people have the time now to get to know the writers because I think part of as the business is shifting towards algorithms, as we talk about, and and more people from advertising working well, for the, these major corps. The train is moving faster, I think. It feels like, at least to 100%. me. 100%. And I wonder if, because one of my jobs now is to do this, exactly right. what you're talking about. We've talked about, about that, is exactly. Is to literally 
say you're you're running one of our shows, I'm supposed to be talking to you. Right. And staying in touch and checking in. And it's not just about the work. Right. It's like, let's go to lunch and stay in touch. You know what I mean? I have to do all that. I can't understand a script mm-hmm. as well if I don't know the, the writer person, yes, yes. than if I did. Because then I, I understand turns they took. Mm-hmm. I can understand my notes better and give them better notes if I know who they are. Yeah. And, and, and again, part of our business now is there's 10 times as many people trying to break in as when me and you were doing it. Right. And so many times great scripts are getting lost because nobody knows who the hell wrote them. And if you don't, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's supposed to be a meritocracy, it's supposed to be just what's on the page, mm-hmm. but it never is. No. It can't be because mm-hmm. there's too many talented people that keep knocking one talented person's script knocks another one's off. But see, that is why, and you're an example of this, you know, <clears throat> people think of you, right? You look at your shows that you have either run, be an EP, copy, whatever it is, they might want to put you in a bubble, but they don't realize you are so much broader than that, especially if you talk to you, right? You're like, bitch, I was making a living Dude, over that's here, it. Right? Yes. But if you talk to you, you go, yeah, he could totally handle this drama or whatever the thing is, you know what I mean? But they go, oh, no, you're the, you're the, 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 kid, the kid you do show. Kids. You, do, you do kids. Exactly. You do kids. Hey, exactly. guess what? My mother suffers from mental health since she's 18. Wow. When I was a kid, she didn't get out of bed for years. I thought, oh, mom's just tired because nobody <laughs> talked about that shit. Right? Right. Yeah. That's going to be in my writing. Mm-hmm. I do more than kids. You know, because mm-hmm. we talk. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, we're in a business of, you know, optics. And mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, just let me see a picture. Uh, let me see IMDb Pro. Right. Okay, if I have a, a show about a bunch of 10-year-olds, I'll call Mark. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, I'm writing gripped opioid addiction right. and all that shit. Right. Yeah, yeah, get to know us. But where I was going with that is... Yeah. Kind of what you were saying is sometimes there, there are all these talented writers out here right now and then all of a sudden they get bumped by the next thing. And the reason, one of the reasons you get bumped by the next thing is because people like you, as an example, will reinvent yourself and write something in the yeah. opioid thing. Yeah. Right? And that's how you always save yourself. You know what's interesting? And, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not I'm being, generalizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm not being critical. Yeah. I don't even look at it as reinventing. Mm-hmm. That's the part I want to say is that like I don't set out to go, well, they think of me this way, so I want to show them I'm sure, this way. Sure. I got shit inside me, it's gonna come out and I need to write about right. it. So I don't, and I'm glad that I have so much different stuff in mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but I, I never set out to do it for that reason, just me. It's just, if there's stories inside me that touch me, that I can bring something to and I want to tell. And that's why I wrote Gripped is because as we started talking about my mother, um, I started talking openly about, you know, mental health and, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, making it uh, a goal of mine to bring it into my writing. But because I love writing YA and young people, Mm -hmm. and then when I saw this book series, which was about teenagers suffering mental health mm-hmm. drug addiction all that i went you could fit right into exactly. what you're trying to do yeah exactly yeah. so it's it's you know it's preparation meets opportunity equals success i guess well, you know? I, t- I talk a lot about you know because people ask me like how in the world am i able to write you know something historical something bio something today or whatever and i'm like but if you look at my project you've read some of my project you still see the theme of the yeah. underdog 
Yeah. Okay. If, if you think yeah. about Sylvester, yeah. you think about Tulsa, whatever, it's from that point yeah. of view. So even because if, that was probably a, it's you. Who I am. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've been you know, the black gay dude in the neighborhood. You know, all that <laughs> shit. So I've always been the underdog person. Right. So I'm attracted to those yeah. stories. So when I went to work over with Ben and them, he likes underdog stories. And I was yeah. like, well, duh. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I'm searching for those stories. And so mine usually then we'll touch on some kind of you know young person coming of age journey right. and trying to figure out who they are okay. you know mickey fabulous the show with candace is a 15 year old who is is she living her true life or is she living the life her father pushes her into right. the world of boxing right. so it's a lot of mine are young people finding their voice you know right. and in, with grip it's a little more serious it's young people trying to find themselves and falling into the traps of addiction right. and self-medication to feel good while they don't know who they are right. so but ultimately yeah and here's what's interesting though me as a kid mm -hmm. never touch a drug <laughs> like not not <clears throat> even a like a spliff never even came this close me to me <laughs> and so i write about it yeah. And that's where you get into the whole conversation of, you know, do you have to know what you write or do you have to, or do you write what you know? Or I just think if I'm going to write something that I never experienced, I, I better talk to people and read and know what the fuck I'm yeah, talking hashtag about. Hashtag research. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've, we haven't been back to the 1800s, you know, but we still can write about it. You know what I mean? The more you do your research on something, the more you become an expert. That's right. And you, how many scripts have you read? you know, that take place in the past or in space or wherever, yeah. and you're like, this feels like a real thing. Yeah. That person did their fucking homework. Yeah. Okay, it was ghost written by an alien. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. I went to, like, alien <clears throat> jerky on the way to Vegas, went in, a <laughs> little alien dressed up. And <laughs> right. Yeah, no, of course. That's so, we're, we're gifted with mm -hmm. minds and imagination. So let me ask you, so you're in town hanging out, uh, what, what have you been up to? What's going on with you today? You know, what brings you back to L.A.? You know, because the reason I'm asking is this. So we're living in this time of the Rona, right? So some writers, such as yourself, have decided, you know what? I'm going to pack up and go for a little while. But you're still showing your face. So people know you're still it's, yeah. it's accessible. I mean, it's my, accessible. Yeah, my story is unique you to me. No, yeah. Of course. My right. story is unique to me in that I've had a house in Vegas for almost 20 years right. uh, because my parents lived there. My brother lives there. Me and my ex-wife used to go up every six weeks. And one okay. day my accountant said to me, what the fuck are you spending on <laughs> hotels? Do you know how cheap houses in Vegas are right now? Right, right. And I went and bought a house, and within three months, I like, like it would have been hotels. It was crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so I always had the place there. When I got divorced, my wife lived there, mm -hmm. uh, and the kids would go back and forth. And then when the virus started, mm -hmm. both, as I mentioned, both my parents got sick, right. and I didn't have to be here, and I was leasing the place in Santa Monica, and I just mm -hmm. packed it up. Yeah. And now, so I still, you know, now that things are opening up, I'm usually here once a month. Uh, so this trip, um, I had meeting with, so I have a feature shooting this summer. Okay. I don't know if I... I think I heard you say, can I, you say what it is? Or? Yeah, I haven't, so I'm not allowed to, uh, on Twitter, mm -hmm. go into detail until they announce. Because uh, they want to attach the cast uh, first, but it's it's uh, 
called Wild Pitch. It's a fantasy. Uh, it's being directed by Stephen Brill, who's okay. a dope-ass mm -hmm. director who mm -hmm. does a bunch of Adam Sandler movies yeah. and created Mighty Ducks. Mm -hmm. And he did a, one of the best coming-of-age movies he wrote and directed a bunch of years ago, Heavyweights. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he's directing, and it's uh, <laughs> it's my wheelhouse, man. It's sports and fantasy. Mm -hmm. and it's about a, do you mind me sharing? I oh, mean, no, yeah. No, no. Twelve-year-old kid who loves baseball. I'm, I'm totally listening, but I'm you, you know I'm being hit by production. So I'm just you glancing. do you, man. It's all good. I never ever take anything <laughs> you've ever done as, yeah. as disrespectful. Twelve-year-old uh, kid loves baseball more than anything in the world. Wants to be a baseball player. Wants to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Mm -hmm. He sucks. He's really bad. He's not an athlete. And everybody around him's like, you have this incredible mind, this great imagination. You're going to be a writer one day. He's like, no, I'm going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he goes and he tries out takes place in Florida, he tries out for like the big travel team and he's horrible and he gets cut and the mm. coach is an asshole, the kids are mm -hmm. assholes to him. And he goes to visit his grandpa who lives in a uh, retirement home. His grandfather is in his 80s and he was a guy that loved baseball too when he was younger and that's where this kid got his love of the game. And him and his grandfather are out skipping rocks talking about life and the mm. grandfather's like I, how do you get cut from a baseball team everybody <laughs> plays I thought it's fun it's everybody no now it's competitive you gotta have game gramps otherwise you know you don't get to play mm -hmm. and the grandfather's skipping rocks the kids skipping rocks and uh, the grandfather says oh there's a butte and he leans near the water mm. to pick up this flat he falls in Mm. And the water ends up, it starts magically going rogue like a washing machine and a funnel forms and drags him underneath. And oh my gosh, grabs, grabs. <laughs> Love it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the kid jumps in to save his grandpa, grabs an arm, mm. swims to shore, pulls him up, digs his heels in, yanks, and there standing before him is a 12 year old version of his grandpa. Mm, beautiful. Clothes, Love too it. big. Nice. Has a kid's voice, but still talks in the style. Mm -hmm. Why are you looking at me like that, my boy? <laughs> uh, if you saw yourself, poppycock, it's me. Right. And they go, and they look in the mirror, and the kid freaks out, and blah, 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 checks. His armpit hair is gone, <laughs> and looks down his shorts. Oh, well, that's not going to go well with the ladies. He's turned into a 12-year-old boy. So they realize they discovered a fountain of youth. Oh, cute. They go on a Wizard of Oz-type journey like to recruit other old men and women who like them loved baseball, but mm -hmm. had to give up their dreams for whatever reason. One cat got drafted into the army, had to go mm -hmm. to Vietnam, had right. to stop playing baseball. Somebody else couldn't play because of race. Mm -hmm. Somebody else had to go to work because their pops died and he had to help the mom put. So all these people, like they it. gather, they soak in the waters, turn into their 12-year-old selves. That's That's they cute. get another chance at childhood. Mm -hmm. Then in the championship game, of course, they're playing that bully team that was an asshole to our lead kid. And in the middle of the game, it wears off and they start turning old Ooh, again in the middle of the game so i've got like this field filled with all with That's the young cute. 12 year old and all these old people in their uniforms <laughs> and uh at the end of the end we there's voiceover throughout and what we discover we cut 20 years later we go to the baseball hall of fame in cooperstown and our lead is now you know in his 30s and he's reading the story mm. to a bunch of kids so the book 
got inducted cute. into the Hall of Fame. Oh, cute. And so, so it doesn't have to be literally that you play. I love it. Yeah, that. yeah. No, yes. the Hall of Fame is filled yes. with memorabilia. Right. So this great baseball story was That's put genius. into the Hall of Fame. And so what's awesome is we get to go out and cast it's a big idea. I it's like a big it. idea. I, like I know it. how we're going to do it for seven, eight million. I don't know, but you know, we yeah. will. Um, so we get to go out and cast like these great, you know, Richard Dreyfus, Danny mm -hmm. DeVito, Morgan Freeman, mm -hmm. you know, Susan Sarandon, like all these great, old, and then cast the twelve-year-old versions of them. That's cute. So then, anyway, That's so cute. that shooting in Savannah, Georgia. Nice. And uh, end of August, early September. So I was in town, I, you know, doing notes and stuff with mm -hmm. the director. Um, and I had another meeting, I don't even remember, but I'm re oh, it was about Gripped. I'm working, so Gripped is my passion thing. Yeah. And that's the boxing one? No, that's Mickey Fabulous. Gripped is the uh, Friday Night Lights meets oh, Euphoria. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's the one hour YA drama, probably mm -hmm. the best thing I've written. Okay. And uh, about a half dozen directors it's been out to, they mm -hmm. all want to, like every director who's read it because they see the creative, mm -hmm. much like Euphoria, mm -hmm. although we're not as dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Euphoria as much as I think it's brilliant. They shoot it here. Really? Yeah. The 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 world that Sam Levinson set, like the directing style, all that is is wonderful. I think it glorifies you know um, drug use a little bit too much mm -hmm. and, and all that. But so ours do, ours is more about you know addiction and recovery and mental mm -hmm. illness and then hope. But so all these directors want to do it, and we just haven't found our right producing partners yet. And um, it's like that one's my baby. Like I've been doing this 32 years in the wow. guild, and that one mm -hmm. is the one where like I will not stop until that. Plus the author and her publishing. That's how I feel about yeah. Sylvester. Well, and yeah. I read it, yeah. and I so I feel yeah. you. Yeah, one day. You know because it's it's mm. you know I guess the the thing that Sylvester probably mm -hmm. has in common with Gripped mm -hmm. is you don't read it and go, oh yeah, there was one just like it five years ago that did great at the box office, so mm -hmm. let's make it. Like, right. no, dude, it's going to be you mm -hmm. believing that there's an audience for it, believing yeah. that the story is well told, yeah. and believing that there's, you know, a, a purpose behind creating of the work and and that's how i feel about gripped that there are kids so that th that particular you know they they call opioids and benzo addiction you know it's the white drugs mm -hmm. and you know it's not necessarily striking impoverished families in inner city it's mm -hmm. you know kids living in two million dollar homes mm -hmm. whose parents are going to the fucking south of france and leaving <laughs> right. them alone and they have a party and stop start popping pills yeah. well they get addicted too and yeah. so just because yeah. they come from a nice house does that mean that their like struggle the, like the rappers drinking lean or taking you know taking purpose <laughs> right <laughs> so so anyway uh, so I'll, yeah i come once every three four weeks and okay. just you know it's a four hour drive four hours 20 minutes mm -hmm. and uh back home i'm with my roommates your two kids. kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Pops, your night to cook tonight. Wait, it's I cook every night. What do you mean? You're making it sound like it's there's a rotation? There's, there's no rotation. A, it's funny. me. But now they're funny because they're always coming to me with like mm -hmm. show ideas. You know, Luke wants to do it's actually set in boxing. He he knows his Vegas boxer, Devin Haney. Okay. Did you watch his fight a couple I weeks know, ago? Yeah, he, he he 
won the, the belts in uh, Australia. Mm -hmm. And Luke knows him a little bit. He's a Vegas kid. He's like, let's do Entourage, but boxing. We'll call it Poison Ivy. The boxing character is nicknamed Poison Ivy because he just, you know, poisoned his punches. And mm -hmm. I go, okay, well, you got to write a little more. <laughs> well, that's where you come in. I go, no, just give me more. And then my other one, this was great. My other kid comes to me the other day and he goes, Mobby. I go, what's oh, Mobby? He goes, it's a bunch of rabbis in the mafia. Like, you know, these religious Jewish rabbis with beards and stuff, they're involved in crime. Mm. And that one I went, there's something there. We'll lose the title. But I like the idea of well, have Hasidic you seen, Jews. Did you watch the last season of Fargo with um, with Chris Rock? No. There's a, there's a nice, they deal with a little bit of that. If one of the main characters comes from that, so it, it it's a it's one of the most amazing. The pilot to that season is one of the most amazing pilots I've ever seen. In my well, life. here's the deal: uh -huh. we have a problem. Liam, who gave me that idea, mm -hmm. his favorite show is Fargo, <laughs> so he maybe was just lifting. Uh, well. It doesn't focus on that. Okay, group, okay, but there was a character. There's, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a beautiful. <laughs> you can, it, it introduces all of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the gangs or mobs or yeah. whatever back then, and one of them is one of the Jewish gangs. Yeah. And they just, it's, it's, you got to watch the pilot. You know, it's and, and it's, it, yeah, and I will. Yeah. And I, it, listen, Fargo, the yeah. movie was one of yeah. my. Chris Rock's season, though. I, is it, that's the one. That's, yes. and that's what yeah. my kid said. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, the, the diamond districts in New mm -hmm. York and then in yeah. Brussels and stuff, yeah. they're manned by religious yeah. docks on 2020 e and shit. Exactly. Yes. So yes. there's probably a good little <laughs> low budget heist kind of film in there. I think, well, it could be a show. I mean, um, hmm. Yeah. Like a friend of mine has a show about Moulin Rouge that was apparently in Vegas back in like the yeah. 50s or a, something. At Bally's. I think that's where it was. Yeah. There was a Moulin Rouge, but it was like a white-owned, Jewish-owned uh, casino that hired all black people to, like, fucking Sammy Davis, and everybody would perform there, and, you know... Sammy's my guy. Nina Horn, yeah. you know, all these people, and it's an amazing story that she's trying to get off, but it's called Moulin Rouge, and it's about her and her love affair with this Jewish guy who owns the place, and, you know, he's in with the mob, the, the Jewish mob, and the Italian mob, so it's, it's interesting. That's great. I, I love <laughs> that period of entertainment mm -hmm. is what drew me to our business yes. it was you know when i was i've shared this story with people before when i was 12 years old it was my birthday and my parents and i was a jock man i was a jock right mm -hmm. even at 12 i was a jock and my parents said for your birthday we're taking you to see sammy davis jr mm. and i'm like what <laughs> not, no, El not elvis <laughs> right, yeah, I'm that old. Uh, no, take me to a baseball game. Right. Take me to a hockey game. Take me. No, we're going to see Sammy Davis Jr. And I sat there and I listen. I remember it like it was yesterday. And this would have been 19, you know, 72. And when when he did, when the lights went down and just the pin spot, and then the hat when he mm. did Bojangles, right. dude. And then he did the Candyman. I'm like, dude. And then, you know, I started, as I got older, I got into Sinatra, you know? Mm -hmm. And I got into Rat Pack lore and right. stories and Shirley MacLaine hanging out in mm -hmm. Tahoe. Then I got to, 
you know, hang, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with Howie Mandel and he would play Tahoe a lot and they'd mm -hmm. give us, you give him and he would bring us the big house. Okay. And so all over in the living room are all these pictures of the Rat Pack because they yeah. used to stay there and I'm yeah. just sitting there and this was show business, right? Yeah. And then I got to hang out with Sammy mm -hmm. and which was like the most amazing thing like for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, dude, I saw you when I was 12 years old and he just did that Sammy laugh. <laughs> exactly. and, and, and that, but, but we all, you know you probably had your attraction and we all had things that attracted us to this business and we read up and we learned sure. and we watched and like when I came out here you know Mark you're 22 years old you're moving to California mm -hmm. why I go because I want to be in show business mm. and as I've said you know and if I've said it on one let me of your ask pods, you really quick just, just yeah. keep that thought so you move here when you were 22 how many years was it before you were able to run a show well, I'll, let me answer it. So when I came out of here, it was not to be a writer. I was okay. a stand-up comic. Oh, so, that's right. And an actor. You did say that. Yeah, yeah. so that. I forgot uh, about yeah. that. So, so you I were was, doing that for a while. I was at the comedy store, yeah. and then people just kept saying, you're fucking funny. Mm -hmm. And back then. And you're you know, a storyteller. And I'm so, a, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I finally started writing mm -hmm. in 90, 91-ish, and mm -hmm. I haven't been on a stage since. So to answer your question, I was I ran Boy Meets World in 1995, so wow. five years. That's, That's pretty quick. Really quick, especially back then. But you, exactly. You yeah. But the reason why it was able to happen then is because the creator and showrunner was Michael Jacobs. Right. He had two other shows. Right. So he would just go to the network and say, listen, I'm going to be off. Blutman mm -hmm. knows mm -hmm. the show. Right. You know, Well, here's where I knew I would have a fairly quick ascension. My first year on Boy Meets World as a executive story editor, I think I was, mm -hmm. I wrote five of the scripts wow. my first year. Damn, that's a lot of drugs. Out of 24. And there were probably people who were higher than you. Probably didn't like me. <laughs> There were a lot of people higher than me, but you yeah. know, that was when, see, people don't know, but I met the first year of Boy Meets World. They had the pilot. I looked at the pilot mm -hmm. and I, I, I wasn't blown away. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I had a partner at the time, Howard, and we looked at it and we went, nah, it was too soft. Mm -hmm. It was really young. And we went on and we did good advice for CBS with Shelley Long and, mm -hmm. and all that. And then they brought us back in the next year to meet and I thought, oh my gosh, we said no, and they're bringing yeah. us back. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're aging up the show. I go, mm -hmm. well, you know, how are you gonna get them? You know, we're putting them in junior high school. Well, wait, they were just second year middle school. How are you doing that? This is television. We're gonna fucking skip <laughs> right. them two years. Easily. And so, two years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so now they're in high school, and so we were able to, you know, bring in a cool, young, hip, teacher who was played by Anthony Tyler Quinn, Mr. Turner to butt heads with William Daniels, Mr. Feeney. Mm -hmm. And we were able to, you know, bring in like the, the, the hallway thugs, you know, mm -hmm. Harley, Frankie and Joey, Ethan Supley played one of those characters, mm -hmm. just amazing Danny McNulty. Um, and, and so we aged up the show. So I was really happy, but the Ascension happened just cause I wrote really good drafts. Mm -hmm that were, you know, a lot of them were big ideas. A lot of stuff I, I remember pitching that I thought would be really cool would make the room laugh, <laughs> but didn't get made because they're right. like, how the fuck we can do that? I always remember, so the show was set in Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. And Corey Matthews' brother Eric was like, you know, the goofy ne'er-do-well mm -hmm. kid and blah, blah, blah. And we were doing an episode where he was getting his driver's license, and I said, oh, this would be great. I go, it's playoff time in the NFL. 
Hmm. He gets his license. He loses control. He ends up running over Randall Cunningham's foot <laughs> right before a playoff game. And he becomes the villain of Philadelphia. Right. And the fucking room's dying going, how great. Eric Matthews right. injures Randall Cunningham. He can't play in the playoff game. <laughs> but we just, you know, made the room laugh. We didn't end up doing it. But I, you know, I always am very, very... Uh, open of saying that you know michael jacobs who i worked for three times boy meets world girl meets world and lost at home which mm -hmm. it, that was my favorite show we only did one season but it was with gregory hines right. and right. so to work with gregory hines and y'all if you're listening to me in hill now and you hear gregory hines and you don't know no. you google that and you watch <laughs> him and his brother dance his kids exactly. and you watch his i like I still, always still history of the world. I can't that that whole tap the eunuch and yeah <laughs> all that shit. Yeah, but but everything <clears throat> he did, right. he was magic. I, right. I I always remember. I tell this story. My wife at the time came to the set, mm -hmm. and she had never met Gregory. And I was a crafty, and Gregory was at crafty. And my wife shows up, and she walks up to me, and all of a sudden. No words are spoken. She just turns red. <laughs> and then uh, I'm, I'm like, oh, oh, Gregory, this is my wife, Kristen. Right. And she just turns to Gregory Hines and goes, I love you. That's hilarious. She couldn't control the timbre in her voice. It was, I love you. <laughs> And I just went, okay, honey, let's go take a walk. Let me show you my office. And it's not like she hasn't seen celebrities around you before. Exactly. <laughs> but there funny. was Gregory Hines yeah. was that dude, yeah. man. He had a definitely. He, he had, had game. Yes. I mean, girls, guys, who had, people mm -hmm. loved him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all these different celebrities we've all worked with. I'm sure you have your favorites. Mm -hmm. Mine, Gregory Hines is top three, mm -hmm. easy. I couldn't even tell you others. Um, but but anyway, so Michael, I was saying about Michael, he was always very generous to me. We haven't talked in like four years, mm -hmm. but um, he was great at, um, you know, earmarking, you know, he like identifying talent, all that. And mm -hmm. he knew that I was right for that gig. And so 1994, 95, I was running the show for two years. Now, that was difficult. Mm -hmm. Because not that part, that part was easy because we had the show down and right. I also, and I take pride in this, um, I was a big part of the interracial relationship between Sean and Angela, right. which back then, you know, mm -hmm. we had to sit and talk to Disney and go, mm -hmm. hey, we want to do this. <laughs> and they're like, do you know who our advertisers are? I'm like, what the fuck? They're kids. They don't. And I always said to them, I said, you know, if we were doing it, you know, a different time, whatever, I said, no I don't want to write about race. I just want mm -hmm. these kids to try and give the message. Right. And it's kind of ignorant of me in a lot of ways, too, because you still have to talk. There's, so there's because no, it's perspective, you know what yeah. I mean? And her perspective would still be, even in situations that feel normal, there would be some tension somewhere from right. somebody. Exactly. And that, yes. I know. So sure. even though I had this, you know... Uh, bright, sunshiny, like, <laughs> let's just make it sunshiny beautiful. <laughs> exactly. No race. Right. Your thing is right. She's, he should have had that point of view, and she should. it ain't never going to be like that for me. Yeah. See, that's the cool thing about growth, right? And I talk about this a lot, and you, you heard me say, and you probably do a version of this too, that I literally, I think out of the almost 40 scripts or something I have, I'm constantly moving forward on them. So I'm always like just pulling up one. I literally do this and pick one. 
and I'll just randomly pull something up. And it's mainly to keep myself going forward on where I am today. So that writer you were back then, 15, 20 years ago, is not who you are now. Yeah. So imagine what you would do with those characters now right. with what you know in this climate. You know, it would be a completely yeah. different different. I'll tell thing. you what we would do is probably mm-hmm. rip out the laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one thing, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> so. uh, you know, yeah. And that's why I mean, it was mul- the time. It, it was, was the time. time, you know, I'm, multi-cams are I, is anybody doing them anymore? You know, there's a new show on BET plus that um, I'm supposed to be having a meeting with this this uh, artist. Her name is Miss P. She's a comedian who finally got her own. show. She's had like different networks who are gonna do her show right. and she's very raunchy gritty like all the raunchy black girls you could think of she's that right <laughs> you know what i mean who are comedians and finally bt plus is like we're gonna do your fucking show so she's doing a version of what she does in her stand-up comic uh routine on this uh, in the show yeah. cusses says the f word the n word all of that stuff on our show so it's the first show that's in it, great and it's got a live audience at the same time that's so great they're breaking that new yeah and by know, the way that's another thing that i miss when i talk about the differences of the business you know when i say back in the day i'm not going to fucking 1945 right. i'm even talking 10 15 <laughs> sure, years ago sure. but all the studios had talent deals with all these actors and comics and stuff and you would go and meet with a development executive because development was actually something that was done Mm -hmm. now people are called development execs and they Mm -hmm. want to fucking finish script a bible 17 pitch decks and a song and dance i go where's the development like aren't you the development don't you want to (laughs) help like what's your point of view because you're a development exec Uh, but anyway, you would sit with your, your wherever you had a deal or a blind pilot or an overall, mm-hmm. and they'd go, here's our talent list, and they'd hand it over. And I remember I, I met the one I loved, and we never ended up, um, it didn't get picked up, but I developed with Aisha Tyler back mm-hmm. in the day. And I went, her, like, she's amazing. And her story was great. Harvard mm-hmm. educated yeah. and uh, an interracial marriage, if I remember <laughs> correctly. And I just went, I went, but now, like, nobody's coming. So it's so cool that BET Plus is doing it with this yeah. comic. I mean, you know, that's that was a staple back in mm-hmm. the day. You know, Roseanne, Tim Allen, you know. Well, the, the, the guy who created the show, Jordan E. Cooper, I think is his name, he's trying to do something different. He was like, you know what we should do? We need to, so what he did was he should, he sent the uh, there's a there's a segment on the Jeffersons where George Jefferson has an old friend who he hasn't seen in years who is trans. And they have this beautiful conversation where George can't believe it, but the trans person is trying to explain to him that they are not a man, they are a woman. And he's like, well, why do you tell me? And blah, blah, blah. It's, and they showed him this clip that this is our show. We want it to feel like this. We want it to be all in the family, but just yeah. deeper. You know, we want it to be the Jeffersons, but deeper. You know what I mean? So you have the comedy and the realness at the same time. Here's the deal, what you What's just that? said. No, dude, this is, this is it. Like, we... The old stuff had value. So this oh, Jefferson's thing, yes. now I just saw, I don't know how it popped on my YouTube while mm-hmm. I was like fucking scrolling, right. but there was a clip from All in the Family mm. of a rant from Archie about guns. Oh yeah, And of course, Meathead is yes. like pro-gun oh, control. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he goes on 12 minutes of why we need guns and weapons and all that, mm-hmm. you know, from his the character's place of ignorance. 
But the whole thing is, we did write about shit. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there was so. What Remember, you're Sammy, just, Sammy kissed Archie. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, one of the oh, greatest, on. most iconic yeah. moments, yeah. not in sitcoms, but in History. any yes. broadcast of anything, right. any telling of any story. Right. Sammy was brilliant. Mm -hmm. He yeah. controlled the scene. He mm -hmm. controlled the moment. Yeah, he was not, you know, there to be made fun of and 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 have people laugh at him. And what he could, he was the character was in control. Mm -hmm. This black man came in, controlled that living room, and made yeah. the moment one of the most. Yeah, you iconic. know that wasn't written. You know he added that. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> dude. <laughs> so it was just it's one of the most iconic moments, right. and, and that's one of the things I I talk about. Like I think a lot of the emerging writers. Um, I had a Zoom with a young kid, and he started talking to me about Grant Tinker. Mm -hmm. And I said, you just won me over. Mm -hmm. I said, most young writers your age don't know who the fuck Grant Tinker <laughs> is. And the fact that you knew in all the MTM shows, yeah. I go, because I did my research. Mm -hmm. If I'm gonna come here, I need to know what, and that's what mm -hmm. I say. Young writers know what came before you. Every comedy writer mm -hmm. should know that moment, mm -hmm. I think. Am I wrong? They For should sure. know the moment. Sure. Sammy Davis kissing. Yeah. They don't even have to remember it's Archie Bunker. Just, yeah, Sammy came in, kissed this white dude. That's all you have to say. At least I know mm -hmm. it's in your head. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I think, you know, so many young writers would be better served, both in film and TV. Just know what came before you. It's, it's important. And it also helps you to... You're not as an original as you think you are. There's a little bit of that, but there's something to seeing what they did and taking a spin on it too, or adding what they did and making it feel today. Sure. You know what I mean? That's that's the, and that's why I was saying to you about your um, the Boy Meets World thing when you had the, the, the black character in there, where you are today, that would be a different show today. 100%. You know what I mean? Certainly a different episode. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean? yeah. And what's funny too, Hilliard, is though kids still talk about it today. I'm sure. They loved it. Mm -hmm. And they may not even articulate why, right. but I think the purity of their souls loved that in 1995, this character <laughs> that was beloved, Sean Hunter, was right. dating a black girl mm -hmm. and loved her right. and wrote poems about her. And so the purity of love on love, mm -hmm. even though, as you said, we'd attack it different and maybe sure. we should have written more, you know, uh, you know, commentary on society and race and, right. you know, if certain relationships were taboo or not, like maybe we should have, we didn't. But, but why people still talk about it today is because they love the purity of it. But see, it's also about, <clears throat> and, and so here's, here's a funny thing, and I, I got to wrap this up in a minute. Here's a funny thing. A lot of us have this whole issue with Hollywood's like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're in time. We're going to do that. We're working on these things, right? Now, I'm saying that in preface, to preface this by saying you were making a stance going, no, we need to at least, we need to at least show this. At least this that much. That there is black and white love. Yeah. Now, whatever limit we could do it on, remember, you're also dealing with kids, so you are also limited there. And right. when you're dealing with kids, you're also dealing with their parents. Correct. So um, you were dealing with a lot of limitations is all I'm really trying to say. But yeah. at least you were trying to make a point and you were part of that, that, that zeitgeist, if you will, to push it forward. Best so intentions. Could, so that we could see that this could actually happen. Like you said, he's writing poems about it. He loved this girl yeah. and all that stuff. And it wasn't, but the show wasn't about race. Yeah. Now, could you have done other things? So what? I'm happy that you at least put the face on. 
and let your hero fall in love with somebody else. You know what I so, mean? So, and I know you have to wrap it up, but I just love what you said. And, and what was so interesting about how we told this story, mm-hmm. he, the character Sean Hunter, found a purse, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody left their purse mm-hmm. in the hallways and he found the purse. Oh, I need to find the ID and so I could return it. And he opened the purse and in the purse was a, a CD of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. And um, then there was uh, a certain flavored lip gloss in there. And there were all these things in the purse that gave him an idea of who this woman was. And everything in her purse was something, the book of poems, all these things in her purse. He was So he was falling in love with the characteristics mm-hmm. of the person. And then he met Angela. Right. And there was never a hesitation he was already in love with her. So there was never, oh my gosh, she's a different color than me. Corey, can I still date her? There was Mm -hmm. never that. He was already in love, but he didn't bat an eyelash. Mm. This was the person. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was just, it was, it was a two part episode. Um, I think we called it, I love you, Donna Karen, because that was the purse. Um, And I'm super proud that I was Mm -hmm. part of that. Like when I look back on my legacy and stuff Mm -hmm. that I did that, you know, I was part of a a, a group, a staff that we put that on the air. Fuck, I'm proud as shit about that, Hilliard. I really, really am. And I believe you. And you're, like I said, you're one of those, uh, I'm just going to say this to, to keep it real. You know me. Um, you know, you're one of those straight, white, cis guys over 50 who actually keep it real, who actually are one of those people who try to help, you know, people of color and, you know, other different, you know, issues or things that people have, you know, queer people, whatever. You don't discriminate in right. that kind of with females. It don't matter yeah. who they are. If they got something dope, you want to help. Yeah. So <laughs> in know? life, it's right. one love. In writing, it's one right. pen. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, thanks, man. Um, I, I, you know I could talk to you all day. Dude, I love but, it. You know, I love it. Here we are in production, so I'm yeah. getting like, I'm like, oh, I got to get back to work. No, man. This, <laughs> this is great. And it's like I said to you, what, what do you want to talk about? You're like, dude, it's me and you. We're just going to yeah. talk shit. But we usually do. And that's it. It's, <laughs> it's all good. Exactly. I love it. Hilarious. Hilarious. Where can people follow you? Where you at? Uh, on the Bird app, I'm Blutman Mark. <laughs> and on IG, I'm Mark Blutman. And uh, I I interact with people like you, you do. do, man. We just, you know, you hit me up. I will at least like and maybe answer cool. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll answer more in depth. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm totally accessible. That's right. That's for sure. He's totally, totally accessible. And um, um, But don't overdo that, okay? <laughs> let's, let's be clear because folks will be like, he said I could call him. No, bitch, we didn't say that. I said <laughs> I got a 1,200-page manuscript. Will you read it? No. <laughs> Send it to Hilliard Guest. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show. Screenwriters are R on Twitter. Any questions, screenwriters, rantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to. We're all over the world. Um, hopefully, Chris will be back soon. Uh, lots of shit going on. Lots of shit going on. Uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be gone next week, but uh, we might do a bottle episode the following week with Chris or Linnell or somebody. Um, yeah, because I'll be on location. Anyway, uh, so shit's going on. Lots of good stuff, man. It's good. Awesome. You know, in a good place right now. So uh, <laughs> Tracy just hit me and said apologize for not coming to both of us. So anyway, 
Um, yeah, lots of good stuff going on. Join me for 2022. Okay. Uh, you guys know how we do it on the rant room on the show. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Mark? 20, 20, 20, 20 two. Two. Peace. Some say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rant room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red room, red room.